The horizon is wide and the highway is calling. That means it's time for another episode of American Road Trip Talk. I'm your host, Gary Mance, with a welcome and an invitation to travel the byways and back roads of yesteryear, searching for America in every incomparable mile. Welcome once again, ladies and gentlemen. Glad to have you along for the ride. Glad to be working alongside Nathan Miller, our producer. Today, we're going to look in our own backyard of Seattle. That's where our program originates. Fueled by caffeine and powered by rain, Seattle is chock full of the odd, the unusual, and the endearing. In this brand new guide, author Harriet Baskus invites you to explore the Emerald City like you have never seen it before. In this book, you'll also find fantastic photography by Courtney Kelly. We're going to discuss 111 places in Seattle that you must not miss. 111. That's a lot for one half hour show. We won't get to all of them, but we're going to get to some highlights that will just have you revved up and ready to tour Seattle, whether you've lived there your whole life or are a brand new tourist. So much to see. Mystery, intrigue, beauty, and a unique quality that makes Seattle the glory of the Pacific Northwest and a place that draws tourists from around the world all year long. Rain or shine. This is American Road Trip Talk. We'll be back with the interview right after this. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days. And I want to bring attention to a life-saving product called Alert Drops. Drowsy driving is one of the most catastrophic problems in America, and Alert Drops will stop it. Kids studying in college, drinking too much caffeine, overloading on these energy drinks, they end up in the hospital. Alert Drops will stop it. What is Alert Drops? Alert Drops is a simple spray on the tongue made out of citric acid, sour lemon, and water, co-created with my uncle, Dr. Henry Heimlich, creator of the Heimlich Maneuver, who said, Anson, Alert Drops will save more lives than the maneuver. Whether you are driving, whether you are studying, whether you're just a tired mom, whenever you need to be alert, get Alert Drops. A simple spray on the tongue, nothing in your system, and you're naturally awake, naturally alert. It's scientifically proven. It's doctor approved. Again, it's natural. It's been honored by the United States Congress. Go to alertjobs.com. Very important. Go to alertjobs.com and stay safe. Are we there yet? That's not a question you'll be hearing while cruising around Nevada. That's because here in the road trip capital of the USA, that old cliche about it being the journey that matters more is actually legit. In Nevada, you can kick back in a crowdless state or national park. Gaze up at some of the nation's darkest, most star-studded skies. Meander among the world's oldest living trees. Have your breath stolen by the crystal clear waters of Lake Tahoe. All along the way, you will find the kinds of iconic, wide-open highways where road trip dreams are made. For insider tips about Nevada road trips and unexpected Silver State destinations, Order your free Nevada magazine and visitor guide today at TravelNevada.com slash travel dash guides. Tell your friends about Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to American Road Trip Talk. The book is called 111 Places in Seattle That You Must Not Miss. The author, Harriet Baskus, is a journalist who has produced radio documentaries on everything from early cowgirls to offbeat museums, and she's written eight books about unusual attractions, hidden museum treasures, and airports around the world. Harriet has served as the general manager of three community radio stations in the Pacific Northwest and now reports on travel and the arts for a variety of national outlets and for her blog, StuckAtTheAirport.com. 
we're hardly stuck. We're delighted to welcome back once again, Harriet Vasquez. How are you doing, my dear? Just great. I'm so happy to be here for the first interview about the book. The first interview. We are honored. Thank you, dear lady. And what a thrill. 111 places in Seattle that you must not miss. And I noticed, congratulations, first of all, on the publication of this lush book. I can't help but wonder if maybe it's no accident that the book, the shape of the book and the size fits perfectly into a backpack. Oh, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. But I love that it's um, actually like raised raindrops on the cover. Yes, I am feeling them right now. <laughs> and uh, all 111 of them. Yes. <laughs> Looks like there might be more than that. It's, it's a gorgeous book. And the photography by Courtney Kelly, extraordinary. Let's say just for a moment, because we want to give everyone their due, you and Courtney, how did you team up to produce this book, which I, I find is much more than a travel guide. It puts you in the mood to visit a place on the basis of its sheer beauty and intrigue. Yes, it's so interesting because I didn't know Courtney before this project began. I got matched up by the publisher, by the editor, and I feel very fortunate. She's a great photographer. She has a great eye. She's a nice person. And we actually became friends by doing this together during the pandemic. It was a challenge to do a book like this during the pandemic. But and yeah, I love sometimes I was going to say sometimes I felt like I was writing a, the captions for her photography because the photos are so great. <laughs> It's also great. Truly an impressive book. You know, I can go big. I can go small. How about we do some of each? One of the things that I love about having a number like 111 is that you have enumerated the places to visit. Your journalism is impeccable, as always. And I can always go by the numbers, as can any tourist who wants to look up, oh, okay, let's see here alphabetically in which number to find places that they most want to visit and may never have seen, even if they've lived in Seattle for 50 years. Exactly. I found so I've lived here for 35 years and I found a lot of places that I didn't even know about and stories about places I thought I knew everything about. I was tempted to start with the number one, but you know what? I decided to wander around a bit and I thought, aha, here's the first place I want to talk about. It's more of a phenomenon than a place, actually. And it is number 90 in your book, Harriet, Space Needle Secrets. I thought we knew all the secrets, you know, it revolved and there was a restaurant and everything. Is there more to know? Absolutely. Well, one thing you should know is there's no longer a revolving restaurant. They uh -huh. took out the rest. <laughs> they took out the restaurant, but now it's actually cooler. There's a revolving glass floor where the restaurant was. So you can go and lay down on the glass floor um, that was up there. They've, they've revamped the observation deck. Remember, they built this for the 1962 World's Fair, and technology for construction is more advanced. So now you can see a lot more, and of course, they can make a glass floor. But while they were renovating, taking out the restaurant area, they found a, uh, a time capsule that they had forgotten about. It was supposed to be opened 15 years before uh, 2017, and they forgot about it. So they were, they're going to put a new one in and hopefully they'll remember where it is this time. But what I love and what I discovered, um, I go to the Space Needle. I send friends up the Space Needle and I go shopping in the shop down, down at the bottom while they're up at top. And there's a original moldomatic machine down there. It's the kind I remember at the New York World's Fair because I was younger and had, I would get a dinosaur from there. But the moldomatic is original to the Seattle World's Fair and you can put in a $5 bill and get a wax space needle and it comes out warm and smelling like crayons. It's really cool to have. 
Well, that's pretty amazing. All of this stuff going on at the Space Needle. It seems to me, Harriet, that what the city fathers and mothers are attempting to do is to bring the Space Needle itself into the 21st century. It was there originally put up in 1962 for the 1962 World's Fair as Seattle wished collectively to be identified with all the progress entailed by being in the new space age. This was new stuff back then. And now, all these years later, it's an architectural mascot of Seattle. And yet, you're going to find things, things that tell you what you, a time capsule. Who would have figured? Well, somebody yeah. who is a bit detective and thought they could spelunk around and find something that held the past for people today and tomorrow, well into the future to enjoy and to glory in because Seattle is endlessly full of stories. Yes. Right now, the top of the Space Needle is painted uh, galaxy gold, which is more like orange, which is the original color from 1962. And I didn't know, and I think it's only some people remember, during the 62 World's Fair, there was a gas flame that came off of the Space Needle. And they, they haven't brought that back. Probably a good idea. <laughs> yes, absolutely. You know, when I visited Seattle the first time in, oh gosh, that would have been the summer of 1984, if you wanted the amusement park ride experience, you go to what was known as Fun Forest. But just to show you how times have changed, Fun Forest was not the original name of that facility. You I know don't what know. it was? No, I don't. It was called Gay Way. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That was a it, tradition from World's Fairs. You're right. There you are. You know, and so uh, connotations being what they are, we have the Space Needle today with a lot of things going on there, though I'm not sure, Harriet, about whether or not that includes the amusement park itself. Did they replace that with some other form of entertainment? Yes. When in the space where the amusement park used to be, the Fun Forest, I think, um, there's one great attraction um, for people who know uh, Dale Chihuly and Chihuly Glass, you see it all over the world now. There's a museum, they call it uh, Chihuly Garden and Glass. And it's a, I say it's a shrine to Dale Chihuly, but it's a place where you could go and see so many of his sculptures um, in beautiful uh, exhibition rooms. And kind of the surprise when you go in there, was a surprise for me, is that Dale Chihuly is a big collector. He might be a very... Um, well-organized hoarder, some people say, but he has one of the best collection of Pendleton blankets. He has a great collection of Edward Curtis photos um, that are of the Native Americans that he found when he was came to this part of the country. So uh, Del Chihuly has filled one room with that part of his collection. But my favorite part is right next to the museum or attraction, there's a restaurant called uh, Collections Cafe. And in that restaurant, and you don't have to um, necessarily, if they're not busy, they'll let, just let you in, are so many pieces of the collections that Dale Chihuly has. So there's accordions all over the ceiling. There's a chalk string dispensers on one wall. They're in the bathrooms, the whole walls are filled with uh, openers, bottle openers. And then inside every table is a shadow box. And you look inside and there's another collection in there. Uh, toy robots, tin cars, fishing reels. It's just this, it's like a museum within a museum and I, and I love it. And it's, I love it also because it's free and you can get something to eat if you want. Chihuly's Odd Collections. That's number 13 in the book, by the way. I'm glad that they designated these items as a collection or collections because otherwise I might be thinking there's, it's got to be time for an intervention. <laughs> <laughs> well, but all yeah. three, 
repurposed, however, that's great that it's still around all this stuff. Yes. And it's great that, that we're able to see part of his collections in a public space. Now let's turn to another big apparatus. And it seems to be quite the trend going back maybe 15, 20 years or so, Harriet. And that is The Great Wheel, number 42 in her book, The Great Wheel. I've been to various cities, uh, like Myrtle Beach, for example. You go there, you see a, a big wheel there. Uh, they have one in Las Vegas that's part of the complex that is New York, New York, for example. All these places around the country, they've caught on to the Ferris wheel craze, and that's certainly true of Seattle. I'm glad to see it, frankly. Yes, I love that we've got one, too. Um, this one, uh, they're, they're adding so many every year, so it claims still to be the tallest on the West Coast, 175 feet tall. What's unique about this one is it kind of... Uh, is over the water. So as you come around in your gondola, you're going to be out over the water. It sits on one of the piers in downtown Seattle. <laughs> what I learned about it um, was that there's one gondola, the VIP cabin, cabin number 42. You can pay an extra fee and you get it all to yourself with you or your partner or the person you're going to propose to or your or your family or your party. And it's a glass bottom gondola. It holds eight people. It has a sound system. You get bonus rotations. Uh, you get cocktails, you get photos, you get a souvenir t-shirt. And so a lot of people, I think, use it for proposals or anniversaries or special days. The other thing that's cool about it is if you're just living in Seattle or you're hanging around, you see it a different color. They, they make it a different color every night. Well, you can request, probably you pay for it, but you can request your own color scheme. So people have used it for like uh, birth announcements, boy or girl. The, if people are getting married down on the, down on the waterfront or in one of the hotels, they get their wedding colors up on the wheel. So you can request it. And I didn't know that. I just thought they put up whatever colors they wanted. Well, let's let's get into the details here. That sounds wonderful. I plan next time I'm, I'm in Seattle, I absolutely want to ride that with my wife. She might white knuckle it, but I look forward <laughs> to it very much. Now, do they have people in place to make sure that those who go there for a proposal don't skip the proposal and go straight to the honeymoon? Ha! Uh, I don't know. I'm going to ask that next time I go. Um, I think <laughs> you, as you go around, there's people who, uh, I mean, remember, people can see you probably from the other gondola. So maybe not. Though that's a good one. They could sell that for an overnight Airbnb. I'm sure someone's thought of that. I'll think to ask when I get yes. there. I'm you just let me curious. Know. <laughs> I mentioned architectural oddities. Now, we have the Space Needle. We have the Great Wheel. That's the big stuff, the really big stuff. It's spectacular. But did you know, and I'm looking here at number 47, Hat and Boots. You describe it as a supersized howdy for visitors to Oxbow <laughs> Park. I lived in Seattle for 21 years. I know about hat and boots and shame on me. I never made it there. What's happening architecturally with that unique place? Well, this one, um, Oxbow Park is a, is across the street from another item in the book, uh, the Gessner Mansion, which is one of the haunted places. Um, but in the, in the late fifties, there was a man who wanted to have a big shopping center, a little uh, south of downtown Seattle. And he, wanted to have a gas station at the park of his frontier village. And he made it a Western themed gas station. And it really was a big, literally a big deal. Like the office of the gas station was a cowboy hat. It was 19 feet tall, 44 feet wide. You couldn't miss it. 
then there were a pair of giant cowboy boots, each 22 feet tall. Um, one was the men's room, one was the women's room. And then, of course, it had a very, uh, it had a lot of gas pumps out front. It became one of the most well, uh, most popular or the best winning um, gas station in the Northwest. But then it went out of business um, because the, the highway that it was on didn't got replaced, Highway 99 got replaced by Interstate 5. So it wasn't really, people weren't passing by it all the time. And over the years, it just got in worse and worse condition. The shopping center never got built. The gas station got abandoned. And when I moved here in the early 1980s, it was just kind of a rusted hulk of a giant hat and boots. And it looked like the next time, the kind of place where the next time you drove by, it would be gone. Um, but artists and local people who loved that gas station um, came to its rescue and they got it moved to Georgetown, which is where a lot of artists live. And they got funding to refurbish it and repaint it. And now there's a beautiful hat and boots in Oxbow Park. And it's more of an architectural um, gift to the, to the city, to that neighborhood. And of course, and it's not a gas station. You can't use the, re- the boots as a bathroom, but it's just really cool that it's this, it's in a park. And I love that it's there. And some people who remember it might have think it's might think it's gone. Some people who have never seen it should make a special uh, trip to that neighborhood. Here, here, and while you're on the street, you could check out the Gessner Mansion. Is it haunted, presumably, by the Gessners? Um, it, ugh, I I'm really not a good uh, ghost person, but it's uh, by a succession of of ghosts that have supposedly come from a succession of terrible things that happened in that house over the years, um, a long time ago. Um, it's privately owned now, so you can't go in it. It's not one of those haunted houses. You can visit it, but you can stand outside and read the plaque and imagine how scary it is. And it's literally right across the street from Oxbow Park, where the, the much nicer, friendlier Hat and Boots is. And in the book, 111 Places in Seattle That You Must Not Miss, the Gessner Mansion, Clocks in at number 38. <laughs> How about we take a trip? Let's go see what the fish are up to, Harriet Vasquez. What about number six? I've never made a trip there myself. Shame on me. How about the Ballard Locks? Yeah, so this is in my neighborhood, and it's where I walk every day. Um, and I love it. Lots of tourists go there. Lots of locals go there. And there's lots of reasons to go there. First of all, it's the it's the locks. The Army Corps of Engineers built these locks that they opened on July 4th, 1917. So a couple of years ago, we had the 100th anniversary. And it makes it possible for boats to go between the higher fresh waters of the lakes, like Washington, Lake Union, to the lower saltwater um, waters of Puget Sound. And all day, you have everything from kayaks and small sailboats to yachts and fishing boats and barges that are pushed by tugs. And you've got the occasional cruise ship that goes through there. All day they go back and forth and the water goes up and down and it's just really fun to watch and educational. You always hear parents explaining to their kids how it works. Um, and then because there's salmon that should be going through there, there's a fish ladder. So you've got this bonus of a fish ladder and you've got fish windows that you can look and see how the fish are doing and how they're making their way from, from the Puget Sound back to the rivers for spawning. Um, and you see the fish jumping and sometimes you see a seal or a sea lion catch a fish and eat it. That's always dramatic, but it's nature. And then bonus on top of that, there's this English garden that's also, that's full of, it's a beautiful place to walk, but it's also full of, of great flowers and trees. And many of them are rare specimens and you can get a, 
a brochure that tells you what's where. So it's just this great place to go. And I love it because it's it's a real place. I mean, the Space Needle is wonderful. Some of the other things that you would go to see in a town are man-made, but this is um, both man-made, but also a real place that's operating. And it's part of the industrial and fishing part of our, our city. An architectural wonder in its own right. Absolutely. These are big places, but people sometimes want to get to the small out-of-the-way places for reasons best known to themselves. For one thing, let's say I'm a big Jimi Hendrix fan. Millions and millions around the globe still are. So let's look up number 52. Where would I find the gravesite of Jimi Hendrix? So there's a couple of places in town that, of course, um, pay pay tribute to Jimi Hendrix. There's a park. There's a statue, but when he, um, he was buried in Renton, um, which is a little south of here at the Greenwood Memorial Sem- Park Cemetery. And he was buried at first with a very simple gravesite, but it was, um, updated at some point by the family. And so if you go there now, you'll see a lot of, you just look at the spot where you'll see a lot of people and a lot of fans go there and you, there's a Stratocaster guitar inside a gazebo that's there. And it's got portraits of Jimi Hendrix. It's got um, lyrics that are engraved into the wall that are etched in his handwriting. And you see, you also see the kind of sweet things that people leave. They leave um, trinkets, they leave flowers, they leave coins, they leave guitar picks. They have the occasional joint that I've seen there. And then you see a lot of like bright red lipstick kisses on his portrait uh, that's there. So it's, um, I've only seen people be very respectful there um, because he is somebody that, um, rock and roll musicians and and people of all sorts really respect and and want to pay their respects there respect and even venerate absolutely venerate better word yes if i made the trek to capitol hill and this is something i must tell you harriet i never heard of this before i and then saw it when i picked up your book so i'm so glad that i noticed this and this one is number 11, the Capitol Hill Wishing Tree. I know not a thing about it. I held off on reading about it so I could find out from you first. Well, wishing trees seem to be a tradition in, in many cities and in many countries and different cultures. They use them for different things, but they are um, places of um, where people go and leave wishes or make wishes. And so um, the one that we have on Capitol Hill is in the in the yard of the individual it's a private individual private property and she's got a nice big tree and she thinks she had heard about this or had one in another city she lived in and she set it up so that you can walk by and it's almost like a little um, sidewalk park and you can sit down and write a wish on a little manila tag and put it in a can and then eventually the the wish elves i guess will come by and collect the wishes and laminate them and hang them from a a wire structure that's right in front of the tree um, so that it's protected from the rain. So you have laminated wishes. And then there's just thousands of them now. It's been there since 2014. And people go in like, I've seen wishes for everything from love and world peace, inner peace, no homework, a healthy baby, everything you can imagine um, people make wishes for. And um, it's just really, it's just a sweet spot. And I think people are kind of use it for serious wishes. Um, there's a smaller version. Every one of our 111 places has an extra bonus tip at the end. So for this one, the bonus tip is that there's another smaller wishing tree in Dearborn Park in South Seattle 
And when I was, when I went there, um, it was during the pandemic, there was a, a tag clearly written by a kid that said, I like milk. Healthy enough, that's yes. for sure. It, yes. There is a sweetness to that, Harriet, and also, it also seems like there is a sacred dimension to it. People are, they hold their wishes dear, and for them to express it, I think there's uh, maybe a little bit of magic involved in trying to give a nudge to nature to make these things happen. That's right. You put it out into the world. Sometimes you might say it, but the fact that you write it and it gets put on a tree absolutely makes, I think, gives it a little special uh, oomph to your wish. Now, before we take our leave, I did want to mention that Seattle is known worldwide for being a foodies mecca. That's fair to say. And yet here's another new experience awaiting me. Number 66 in your book, Off the Res Cafe. Now, this is Native American cuisine? Yes. So this is in the Burke Museum, which right before the uh, pandemic opened up a, a big new building, but in their cafe, it's called Off the Res, and it's got Native American dishes, um, everything from fry bread to uh, cedar tea, cedar bark tea that they make with blackberries and black tea. Um, so they're trying to match the fact that the museum tells you about Northwest Native culture with the food that they serve. It's really good. I want to quote from the dust jacket here. I think this really sums it up. With ideas and inventions inspired by the energy of the region, Seattle is a reflection of its natural surroundings, its history, and the people who have made it the vibrant city it is today. You have captured it beautifully, Harriet Baskas. And her last name, by the way, is spelled B-A-S-K-A-S, Harriet Baskas. The book, again, 111 places in Seattle that you must not miss. When I go out there again, and I recommend it to everyone, this is a tidy book. Take it with you, whether it's in your backpack or you can stick it in the glove compartment, and you're going to have a gorgeous guide to all the places that people have seen. We're talking about the Space Needle, for example. Yes, Jimi Hendrix gravesite, but so many places that if you didn't know they were there, you might not think to look. And that is part of the joy of reading this book. 111 places in Seattle that you must not miss. Harriet Baskus, always a joy when we have you with us. Thank you so much. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning into American Road Trip Talk, along with Thomas and Becky Rep, co-founders of American Road Magazine. We remind you to visit our website, AmericanRoadMagazine.com, to preview the current issue. Until next time, dream well and drive safely on the American Road. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure.